Hello and welcome to Right Care at Baptist. Today, Henry and I are with Dr. Ari Shetkovsky, one of the cardiologists here in Memphis, and we'll be talking about some of the impacts that COVID-19 has had on the cardiology profession. Ari, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, Jay. Can you tell us just a little bit about your background and, and what you do now? Sure. I'm originally born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, lived in Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, went to Tulane undergrad, went to Columbia for post-bac attended Cornell University Medical School, and then completed my internship and residency in medicine at Columbia University New York Presbyterian Hospital, where I stayed for my cardiology fellowship. And I uh, was a chief fellow in my last year. I then joined Stern Cardiovascular Foundation um, in 2003, came to Memphis. And over the years, I've uh, played various roles uh, as a quality director at Stern and started up a quality committee there. Eventually uh, settled my practice at, in DeSoto, where I'm the DeSoto Cardiovascular Service Line leader. Um, and now I'm um, uh, the acting uh, president of the joint venture uh, between Baptist and Stern and sort of transitioning into the CB service line lead. Um, my, my interests, I guess include heart failure, coronary disease, valvular heart disease, pregnancy and heart disease. And I'm now in the middle of starting a cardio-oncology program here at Baptist with the uh, BMG oncologists and several experts in the cardio-oncology group, as well as an amyloid program with the help of Dr. Dmitry Yaronov. Well, that is great. Thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk with us. Henry, do you want to kick us off? I'd, I'd love to, Jake. Thanks. And Ari, I really appreciate you coming on today. Ari, COVID-19 has, I think, has been a remarkable experience for all of us, and not necessarily in a, in a, in a positive way, certainly. Uh, but tell us, have, have you noticed any change in the presentation of uh, patients uh, coming to the hospital, perhaps affected by COVID or a COVID myocarditis or any of those diagnoses, which I know are are popular currently uh, in discussion in the literature. Yeah, you know, inviting me to, to sit on this um, podcast gave me an opportunity to really reflect on everything that's gone on over the last six months. It's been a real whirlwind. In regards to patients presenting to the hospital with uh, COVID-19, uh, originally, COVID-19 was felt to be predominantly a respiratory disease, but what we found over time um, with several studies um, that have been published at, from countries around the world and from hotspots around the world, we found that there are a uh, substantial percentage of patients that are presenting with uh, what appear to be acute coronary syndromes, but uh, um, actually are COVID-19 related um, cardiac presentations. Some of them are myocarditis, um, and, and some of them are um, cardiac-related uh, complications of COVID-19. So we have seen that quite a bit. In regards to specific COVID presentations, you know, we've seen COVID impact the cardiology world in various ways. In regards to acute coronary syndrome, I would say that what we found around the world is that initially there was a substantial drop in acute coronary syndrome presentations. You know, when this whole thing started, 
there was such a fear of what this virus could do. And in places like England, they saw a 40% drop in acute coronary syndrome admissions. There were similar findings in Italy initially in the Lombardy area. And then here in the United States, we even found drops as much as 48%. Um, and this in turn seemed to lead to an increase in the number of out of hospital deaths, some of them associated with COVID-19 and some not associated with COVID-19. You know, the theory is that people were afraid to seek medical attention because of their concern that hospitals were inundated with coronavirus cases. Uh, we've done quite a bit to try to alleviate those fears here in the Memphis area, uh, both through um, Baptist marketing to the community directly, as well as through Stern marketing to our patients directly. We've done a good job here in the office assuring them that uh, uh, the hospital has put in every possible step to mitigate the spread of the virus uh, if presenting for any sort of uh, medical issue. And um, we've put out um, information and uh, videos on our website, including on our Facebook website, so that uh, patients know it's safe to, to come to the hospital. When you look at, in, at inflammatory markers, uh, and I know that that can be the, the, the hallmark of, uh, of, of a COVID-19 patient status um, moving more to a cytokine release syndrome, uh, does that in any way impact the way that you all view the, the patient's cardiac status? Well, what we know about cytokine storm is that it is a systemic inflammatory condition. And in patients who are critically ill, uh, who have this cytokine storm, in a subset of them, the heart is impacted. And we do see significant reductions in cardiac function affecting both the right and left ventricle. Those patients, tend to do worse than those who don't have that cytokine storm. We are finding that certain inflammatory markers or certain biomarkers, um, such as troponin and D-dimer, um, could be markers that indicate both a prognosis, prognosis for these patients who present with COVID-19 and also may indicate uh, risk for clotting and also some long-term risks associated with persistent uh, cardiac injury. To get into a little bit more detail on that, there is a Mount, so Mount New York, as you know, was one of the hardest hit areas originally. Now the hotspots have changed a little bit, but there've been a lot of good studies that have come out of New York. One being a Mount Sinai study, five hospitals looked at about 3,000 patients. And during their COVID surge from February to April, they noticed in those patients who had significant bumps in their troponins, they had a threefold increase in death. Um, those who had a slight increase in troponin with no continued rise had approximately a twofold increase in death. And those who didn't have any troponin elevations seem to be far less likely to, to suffer mortality and did much better. They, some, some interesting findings from that 
observational study was also that statins seem to portend some protective factor. And what they found is that myocardial injury is common. Um, the troponin levels were elevated in many of those patients. Um, and it seems that the higher the, their troponin, the more likely they also had underlying cardiovascular disease. So, and there was another study looking at about 190 patients out of China. This was a very interesting study. But what they found in that, that, that study was that in, in patients with positive troponin and cardiovascular disease, cardiovascular disease being uh, coronary artery disease, cardiomyopathy, or the presence of hypertension, they carried a 69% mortality as opposed to those who didn't have cardiovascular disease and had negative troponins, their mortality was approximately 7.6%. The presence of troponin and no cardiovascular disease carried a 37% risk of mortality. And the presence of cardiovascular disease and a negative troponin carried a much lower mortality of 13%. So the, 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 the findings thus far out of multiple observational studies around the world is that if you have an elevated troponin when you present with COVID-19 and you are critically ill, the likelihood that you'll have a bad outcome is fairly high. Adding the presence of cardiovascular disease to that troponin level increases it even further. On the flip side, carrying that troponin level may also shed some light on future issues that you might have with cardiovascular disease after you've recovered from your coronavirus um, infection. So those are some of the things we're finding. And I think, Henry, you were probably alluding also to um, issues with clotting factors. Is, is yes. that the other question that you had regarding? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, another interesting observation is that Many COVID-19 patients in the ICU were noted to develop blood clots, either in small vessels, deep vein thromboses, pulmonary emboli, and even presenting with, um, with strokes and clotting in their cerebral arteries. And this seemed to occur in the ICU in spite of, in spite of implementing standard preventive anticoagulant uh, prophylactic therapy, which we do here in the United States. In China, they initially saw these things. And interestingly, um, as I looked into this further, in China, they don't typically place their patients on deep vein thrombosis prophylaxis like we do here in the United States and Europe. So they were seeing a lot more of these clotting conditions. You know, this, so, so this leads to the question, you know, how, you know, what is exactly going on when these patients are clotting in spite of prophylactic therapy. And, you know, this is a question that we really don't have the answer to right now. Um, the true incidence of, of how often this happens is not entirely known. It seems to correlate more with the severity of the coronavirus illness. So the more severe the illness, the more likely the clotting issues may, may occur. Um, in one multivariate retrospective trial of about 400 patients, 144 of them were critically ill. Clotting seemed to occur in about 10% of patients, but on the flip side, there was 5% bleeding occurred. Risk factors for this seems to be 
similar to the risk factors for those who are more susceptible to the coronavirus and more susceptible of having a bad outcome. Being older, being a male, being obese, having diabetes, and of course, cardiovascular and pulmonary conditions. So, you know, this clotting issue, you know, occurs in small vessels sometimes and in microvascular clotting. It may play a role in the severity of pulmonary disease and other systemic failure of other organs. We don't exactly understand the mechanism. Um, there is some uh, some findings in, from New York again at a Cornell University. There's a spike protein on the coronavirus that seems to bind to a complement protein called MASP2. And this can possibly activate the clotting cascade as well as immune cascade. And this may be the uh, trigger for it, although there's ongoing studies to try to determine the exact cause. Uh, so there's some preliminary data that our gatraban, a direct uh, thrombin inhibitor, may be a benefit, but this is just an observational study. There are currently ongoing trials that are looking to address these clotting events. For now, what's being recommended out of some of these higher volume surge areas is that anyone who gets discharged from the hospital um, who has been on standard DVT prophylaxis, that they go home with DVT prophylaxis. However, it's unclear how long to treat these people, and it's unclear if this is the appropriate form of therapy. So the NIH is currently supporting a huge trial called ACTIVE. It stands for Accelerated COVID-19 Therapeutic Interventions and Vaccines. And they've pulled together a network of hospitals the, the, the trial is randomizing low-dose prophylaxis versus full-on anticoagulation in patients admitted with coronavirus. And this should help answer the question of whether or not and what sort of anticoagulation approaches might mitigate this clotting issue that we're seeing. A marker that might indicate an increased risk of clotting in the hospital seems to be a D-dimer. It, it, it stays high longer in the critically ill patients who tend to develop these clotting problems. But again, like a lot of things with this coronavirus disease, we really don't know many things and there's still a lot to learn. Based on that, let's go back to the patient, the severely ill patient with an elevated troponin. I would assume cardiology and you would get consulted on a lot of these patients. Can you just walk us through what your initial evaluation would be and how you would manage that patient? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, this happens a lot. We get called for troponin. And as you know, troponin typically triggers the, the belief that there may be an acute coronary syndrome present. But of course, troponin can be elevated when in the presence of any sort of myocardial injury or in the presence of decreased excretion or um, increased oxygen demand and supply mismatch. So when we approach a patient who's COVID-19 positive, we think of the various mechanisms that might elevate that troponin. Those mechanisms could be direct injury from hemodynamic derangement. It could be hypoxemia. It could be that there may be direct COVID-19 infiltration of the myocardium causing inflammatory myocarditis. This could be a stress cardiomyopathy, which we've seen. Uh, there may be microvascular dysfunction or thrombosis as just discussed. 
or it may be related to the cytokine storm, the systemic, inflama systemic inflammatory reaction that attacks all the organs. Um, we also know that individuals with pneumonia who have underlying cardiovascular disease have a six-fold increase of myocardial infarction. And there also may be type 2 myocardial infarction, and this is just uh, individuals who shed some troponin levels because of the strain on the heart from the other ongoing stressors. So when we approach these patients, like any patient, uh, we, we obtain a, a set of uh, uh, helpful diagnostic uh, information, which may include uh, an electrocardiogram, uh, serial troponins, um, and an echocardiogram. Uh, we pull together all that information along with the history, and we approach that patient and treat them uh, once we've ruled out uh, acute coronary syndrome as a cause. Unfortunately, right now, we don't have any information about how to directly treat myocardial injury um, that is directly related to coronavirus infiltration. For anything that indirectly impacts the myocardium, the approach is uh, supportive care, which is a lot of what we're doing with these critically ill coronavirus patients. Uh, I do want to state that there was recently um, an interesting trial that was published out of the UK. I believe it's called the recovery trial, and they looked at about 11,000 patients that were randomized to dexamethasone six milligrams and the other group standard of care therapy, everything that we've been doing in terms of supporting these patients. And what they found specifically in the critically ill patients who were placed on the, who were on uh, vent dependent, they, those individuals had a 21% mortality rate as opposed to the other group that did not receive dexamethasone that had nearly a 41% mortality rate. So this is a very interesting study and at least shows that there is a role for a high dose steroid therapy in the critically ill patients. Of note, this dexamethasone treatment did not have any effect on those patients who were not critically ill. So those other hospitalized patients who are on your med surge floors would not uh, seem to have any derive any benefit from dexamethasone therapy. Right. Yeah, we've talked about the recovery trial a couple of times on this podcast with Jeff Wright and Athena Hobbs um, most recently, and definitely seems promising for those critically ill patients. And you're right. Unfortunately, there's there's nothing great for those early stage COVID nineteen patients currently. But I know work is underway and many trials are investigating new drugs. So there was a recent article out of JAMA Cardiology that talked about these post-COVID-19 patients and possible risk for long-term implications of heart failure coming from COVID-19 infection and that myocarditis. Uh, have you had a chance to look at that? And, and what are your thoughts? And, and have you seen any of this in your clinic already? Yeah, and thanks, Jake. Uh, I, I actually saw this when it came out, and um, these are two trials that you're alluding to, or two studies uh, that uh, raise the concern 
that there may be some long-term myocardial damage caused by coronavirus infection. And, and those specific trials are one that uh, comes from Germany. In this trial, cardiac MRIs were performed on about 100 patients who had recovered from coronavirus. And they compared them to 100 similar patients who never had coronavirus. The average age of these patients was 49 years. So that's a fairly young population. These MRIs were evaluated at a mean of about 71 days after coronavirus had been um, diagnosed. Two thirds of these patients recovered at home. So these were not, you know, all your critically ill patients. And what they found was in about 78 patients out of those hundreds who had COVID vi virus, there were structural changes to their hearts and some of them LV dysfunction, you know, other findings on the cardiac MRI that would indicate damage to the heart, such as catalytic enhancement. 76 of them had elevated biomarkers, high sensitive troponin, and 60 of them had ongoing signs of infla inflammation on their cardiac MRI. In another trial, there were autopsies conducted on 39 people who died early in the pandemic. These were much older patients. Their average age was 85. They had high levels of virus in about 24 of these patients out of the 39. And this was high levels of virus in the myocardium. Um, 36 out of 39 of these actually died of pulmonary complications, not from cardiac disease. And, and we don't really understand the ramifications of these findings yet. But we do know from other studies of viruses that ongoing inflammation and evidence of viral uptake is just not a good thing. You know, what to do with this is, is really unclear at this point. What it says to us is that there may be a long-term price to pay for anyone who's infected with this virus. And if you think about that initial study, the one looking at the cardiac MRIs in that fairly young population who recovered at home, these are, you know, your are generally asymptomatic individuals, it, it's, a, it's a real warning to um, everyone out there that uh, this virus, although it may not inflict you with a severe upfront illness, at this point, there seems to be some evidence that it can have long-lasting effects and we have absolutely no idea how this is going to impact us in the long run. You know, just like other viruses, HIV, uh, hepatitis C, Zika virus, they seem to have impact on individuals in the long run or impact on an individual indirectly. And we just don't know where this is heading. The best thing right now is to try to do everything you can to prevent getting infected with this disease. In terms of, am I seeing this in my practice? I would say that we've been lucky in this area to not see the numbers and the level of coronavirus cases as they've seen in some institutions in New York City. Um, I've got a lot of colleagues in New York and, and speak with them frequently. For instance, in North Shore University Hospital, 11 hospitals, they had at one point uh, 11,000 patients admitted to their hospitals. At one point in Mount Sinai in New York City, 
They had nearly 900 patients in the hospital at one point. So we're just not seeing that level of disease here. And so I can't say that I've, I've, I've seen that in my office yet. But my recommendations to everyone, um, if you have heart disease, uh, now, as always, is the time to really focus on optimizing your risk factors. Control your blood pressure, control your diabetes, don't smoke, control your cholesterol, eat right, exercise regularly. All the same recommendations that we've been pressing and pressing all along, but perhaps that may be even more important now than they were before. I can definitely agree with that. And I think it's very interesting what they're doing in in England with after Boris Johnson was admitted to the hospital, he blamed a lot of it on his obesity and is really pushing for this uh, new program uh, countrywide to address that due specifically to the coronavirus. And we definitely see that with our own data uh, was showing on Friday that I believe 60% of the patients admitted to our hospitals had a BMI that considered themselves obese, whereas for the general population admitted to the hospital, it was much lower, it was more like 40%. Um, so it's definitely a contributing factor. Henry, I know we only have a few minutes left. Do you have any closing comments or questions? No, I don't, except to thank Ari uh, so much for coming on today. And uh, and Ari, I think you shed a great deal of information uh, that uh, on the COVID-19 virus and its impact on cardiac function, both during the acute phase and then also in the recovery phase. Uh, I, we really appreciate you taking time today to, to spend with all of us and, and Bring us up to date on the on the literature, also the research and therapy around COVID-19, specifically as it addresses um, cardiac function. I, I want to thank you so much, Ari, for taking time out of your busy day to be with us. Thanks, Jake and Henry. I really appreciate having the opportunity to talk to you and to everyone on this podcast. Hope you both stay well and healthy. Thank you so much, and we would love to have you back on at a future date. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Right Care Baptist. Remember, you can go to the episode show notes to find the link to the survey to earn your CME credit. Thank you.